Hi, this is Kim Dixon with Weber County's Greatest Generation, and today's podcast is about Seaman First Class John William Lambert. I just want to give you a heads up that this is a really hard story. So um, Seaman Lambert and four others were considered the first of the Japanese atrocities committed during World War II. So if you are sensitive and have problems with this, I would just skip this podcast. So just to give you an idea about how this project worked, I was just counting names. So basically, I would go through the newspaper, see the articles, and put the names on a spreadsheet. It wasn't until I decided to write a book that I had to go back and get the rest of the story. And this was one of the first stories that I researched, and um, it's one that I've never forgotten. John William Lambert was born on February 20th, 1924. He was the fourth of nine children born to Jacob and Susan Hiller Lambert. According to the 1940 census, Jacob was a watchman on the steam railroad. The family lived at 141 West Doxy in Ogden. When John was a junior at Ogden High School, his mom and dad gave him permission to join the Navy at 17. So on his birthday, February 20th, 1941, John joined the Navy. He took his boot training in San Diego and trained as an aviation mechanic. At first, I thought this was part of the tragedy of the story, which I will explain later. His last letter to his parents were on November 27th. He shipped out with the USS White, arriving at Wake Island on November 29, 1941. One thing I didn't realize when I started the project was that Pearl Harbor wasn't the only place attacked on that day. In President Roosevelt's famous Date of Infamy speech on December 8th, he mentioned Malaya, Hong Kong, Guam, the Philippines, Midway Island, and Wake Island. So Seaman Lambert landed less than a week before the attack on Wake Island. Wake Island is a tiny atoll in the Western Pacific. It's 2,200 miles west of Honolulu and 1,200 miles southeast of Tokyo. In February of 1941, President Roosevelt issued an executive order to create naval defense zones in the Pacific. The proclamation established the Wake Island Naval Defense Sea Area, and the U.S. Navy began construction on a military base. On August 19th, the 1st Military Garrison, the 1st Marine Defense Battalion, that totaled 449 officers and men, were stationed on the island. There were also 68 U.S. Navy personnel and about 1,100 civilian workers from Morrison Knudsen. On December 8th, shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, 36 Japanese medium bombers attacked Wake Island. They destroyed eight of 12 Wildcat planes on the ground. Two more air raids followed before the Japanese tried their first landing attempt. That first attempt failed, inflicting heavy losses on the Japanese. But it was only a matter of time. The Navy was unable to send any help because of what was going on in Pearl Harbor, and so those on Wake Island were alone. Afterward, it was called the Alamo of the Pacific War because the hopelessly outnumbered and outgunned defenders mounted an extraordinary resistance before finally succumbing to the Japanese superior numbers. And on December 23rd, the Japanese took control of the island. On that day, the Japanese took 1,600 prisoners, 450 military, and 1,150 civilians. In January of 1942, they would be placed on a prison ship called the Nitamaru. 
On December 24th, the Standard Examiner reported that Wake Island had apparently fallen to the Japanese after a long resistance by the Marine garrison against 13 attacks, which cost the enemy four warships and several planes. It is known as the first American victory in World War II. On February 19th, it was reported that Lambert and four others from Weber County were listed as Japanese prisoners. Private Don Manning, a Marine from Hooper, another Marine Private Max Dana of 330 Cross, and two civilian contractors, Charles B. Maryberry of 11128, and Mark Streeter, who lived in Lewiston, Idaho, the son of George C. Streeter of 49030th. The Navy explained that the exact status of all individuals could not be verified because of interrupted communication during the battle. The truth was, with the exception of 98 civilians who stayed on the island and served as forced labor, the rest were loaded on the ship and headed to a Japanese prison camp. In November of 1943, the Standard Examiner reported that it had been two years since the Lamberts had heard from their son, and he was believed to be a prisoner of war. In October of 1944, Seaman Lambert's parents were presented with a presidential citation and the blue enameled star on ribbon bar for the Wake Island battle. After the war was over, Japanese prisoners began returning home, including the four other prisoners from Weber County. In desperation, the Lamberts started visiting returned POWs to ask them if they remembered John and knew what happened to him. Several of them remembered John being on the prison ship, and then one day Japanese officers came down and asked the prisoners if there was anyone who had any aviation experience. Five stepped forward and went up to the deck and were never seen again. In December of 1947, the Associated Press broke the story of what had happened. As those five prisoners came aboard, four were immediately beheaded, one was bayoneted, and their bodies thrown overboard. The worst thing about this story is that when the Standard Examiner got the Associated Press dispatched, they called Mrs. Lambert for a comment. She did not know what they were talking about, and so they read the story to her. She found out over the telephone what had happened to her 17-year-old son. So this is the story that I wrote in the book, but as I was looking back to find some dates for this podcast, there's new information out there about what really happened. On January 22nd of 1942, the Japanese commanding officer announced that five POWs were to be killed as retribution for those who died in the attack on Wake Island. The five names were predetermined, and at 3 p.m. they were brought up to the B-deck, and they were left there for over an hour. Nearly an hour later, the ship's loudspeaker gave out an invitation to the crew The execution is taking place now. Everyone come. Everyone is free to come. 150 Japanese assembled to witness the execution. Lieutenant Seito appeared in full Navy uniform. He pulled out a piece of paper covered with Japanese characters and read the names of the five Americans. He read to them, You have killed many Japanese soldiers on Wake Island. Since you have done it, it is to be... Accustomed in a Japanese way to revenge ourselves for what you have done, you are now going to be killed in payment for the blood you caused from the Japanese soldiers. You are going to be killed for revenge. You can pray now to be happy in the next world in heaven. The five who had been on the deck for over an hour with only the clothes that they had on their back when they were put in the prison ship were each called one by one to come up and kneel on a mat. 
One by one, they each knelt on a mat with their head over a box and were beheaded. Their bodies were thrown into the ocean. Each of them was killed by a different Japanese officer. As I said before, these are considered the first of the Japanese war atrocities. After the war, they held a war crimes trial, and those in charge of the Nidamaru were sentenced to death. The four who committed the beheadings were sentenced to life with hard labor. They were related granted clemency. Of the approximately 1,600 American prisoners, 1,378 returned after the war. And here's another FYI for you. On October 5th, 1943, the Americans were landing on Wake Island to take it back. Those 98 who had been held as slave labor were taken to the north of the island where they were executed by the Japanese. 17-year-old Seaman Lambert is memorialized on the World War II Place of Remembrance plaque in the Ogden City Cemetery, and he also has a headstone in Memory Grove in Salt Lake. This has been really hard for me, and I wasn't sure that I should even do a podcast about this, but I decided that we needed to remember Seaman Lambert. So join us for the next podcast with another amazing story about a war hero named Major Floyd Pell. Thanks for listening.